you know this is true and you know who you are if this is true about you when you ask about what inspired them to get in the radio business what excited them about it they say these call letters w l s well way back in the history of this guy program director and general manager wls chicago but there's so much more to this story his story is bigger influence great jobs all over the country oprah and so much more by the way that's an ideal person for us to talk with on the encouragers the radio rally podcast um are you ready i thought you might be to enjoy any of our episodes this is all you need you need to be interested in others and want to grab some thoughts and wisdom about how others are being successful in radio right now welcome to the encouragers the radio rally podcast what you're about to hear is absolutely going to be focused on lifting you up giving you good advice hearing the stories of an amazing radio pro and uncovering the path forward in radio right now my name is lloyd ford i'm with rainmaker pathway consulting works you know programming consultants have made great contributions to radio for decades but you know times have changed and it does feel like it's kind of time for something new. There are generational shifts that are happening that are threatening the growth of more radio revenue right now. And of course, local radio needs better content, better branding, coaching for on-air, talent, music, research resources. But let's bump it up so that you can see some money, revenue, sales coaching, sales strategy, and ideas that will help your sales team grow more revenue in the coming months right around you. Here's what we call that, RPC, our practice. We say it is an actual multiplier, helping local radio generate more or higher ratings and revenue to maximize higher results for your daily efforts. We make your life easier, faster, better, and more profitable ideas are the new technology whatever your vision of a consultant used to be was is we're not like that today we work with our clients on branding revenue profit innovation that helps your team actually grow the value of your assets and helps you tell your story better and we're affordable our first consultation is free highly confidential reach out anytime schedule a meetup it's easy, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. Our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing them. Listen, we're about to visit with John Guerin, chairman of AccuRadio, board member and partner of local media in San Diego. We'll find out all about the busy schedule of John these days. And of course, we're already starting to book our August guest, so you can see our full calendar all the way into late July 2023 right now, anytime, on our free blog section at RainmakerPathway.com. We do not lock away anything on our site the way some other consultants do, so go to RainmakerPathway.com anytime, see what you can get for free from our team. John, welcome to the Encouragers in the Radio Rally. How are you? Terrific. It's great to be on with you. And, uh, you know, it was great when we first talked about this because you reminded me we almost had a chance to work together back in Charlotte when American oh. Radio bought, bought stations in Charlotte. You know what? And, and if it wasn't for the Federal Trade Commission, we would have. 
<laughs> yes. That's still one of the weirdest stories that's ever happened to me in my life. And it it happened to happen within two weeks of also getting a visit from the FCC, which was also weird. So that was a very heady, strange time. You know, do, Have you ever had a visit from the FCC, John? Uh, no, but I remember, you know, when I was in college, having to take a, a train ride to Philadelphia to take my third, you know, my, my uh, third, uh, what was the, what would they call it back then? The, uh, the FCC license you had to have to take the meter readings and stuff. Yeah. My third phone thing or whatever they used to call it. Yeah. You will love this, John. I'm sitting in a meeting with the market manager in Charlotte and the chief engineer and the receptionist comes in, the door's closed. She knocks on the door, opens the door and she goes, hey, somebody's here from the F. uh," And the chief engineer said the FCC. And she goes, that's it. And everybody stood up. It was like, oh, my God. So it was one of those moments. Listen, John, we know you're a Chicago guy. Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, upstate Pennsylvania, south of Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, and, uh, you know, in the coal region. So, uh, you know, it was a, a fun place to grow up, but they didn't have a lot of local radio there. Oh, that's interesting. So when you were a kid, were you into the radio? Were you interested in it? What was going on? I used to go to these uh, estate sales, and they'd sell these big old-time radios the big stand-up radios with the tubes and everything and uh and i'd get those and i'd listen and and dx during the day and at night and during the day i'd get maybe again looking for rock and roll music that weren't weren't playing it where i was but uh you know i get maybe wabc would come in wip was playing pop music but they weren't they weren't the wibg but i couldn't get them upstate and uh and i was too far south to get the the Mighty 590 WARM. So, uh, you know, I get those. And then at night, WKBW came booming in from Buffalo. And then it's interesting. I, my, one of my favorite disc jockeys, who was Dick Biondi, just disappeared. And I'm thinking, you know, of course, you never know why they left. No. And I'm instead doing my DXing at night. And that was right around the time the WLS went top 40. And I hear Dick Biondi on WLS. So it was ironic that I ultimately got to work at WLS. And you must have had an ear way back then for picking them, right? I just just love to hear what the radio stations were doing. And again, at night back in, you know, back in the 60s, you know, late 50s, 60s, and even into the 70s, the clear channels hadn't been broken up very much yet. So you get stations from all over the country, which was, which was exciting to hear. And just so uh, younger people that might listen to this podcast, he is not talking about the old Clear Channel company. He's talking about something right. different. So let's get into the education thing and get that out of the way early. You went to Penn State, which now makes total sense. You know, Pennsylvania, Penn State in the 1960s. What was Penn State like in the 60s? And you came out at 68. Wasn't that a particularly crazy time? Well, yes and no. You know, we call it Happy Valley where Penn State is and State College because it's kind of out in the in the in the sticks away from everything else. It's not near Philadelphia. It's not near Pittsburgh. It's out in the middle of the state. And and it's pretty was much an engineering school back then. And so a lot of these people were very serious about being engineers. And so there was very little problem, you know, 
uh, protests going on and things like that. It was it was relatively quiet at Penn State. Well, that's a good place to be in '68, I imagine. So, listen, everybody knows you from Chicago, and they know you from your resume. But how did you get your start in the radio business, John? Well, it was interesting. I went to Penn State, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, and so uh, I really hadn't thought about radio, and they didn't have a broadcast school at that point either. So uh, I finally you know, decided that you know, business would be good, so I did business administration majoring in marketing. And I was living in the dorms, the West Hall dorms, and they had this carrier current radio station there called WHR for West Hall's radio on, on AM. And uh, and so I stopped in and, and met the people and I met a guy named Al Resnick, who I ultimately hired at WLS to be chief engineer years later. But Al had been a uh, an engineer in the summers as like an intern at KQV in Pittsburgh. And so he knew quite a bit about radio and was really the guy running this local little station out of a closet in the dorm. And so uh, I went down and introduced myself and gave me a show and and it taught me how to do some basic things to do a radio show. Uh, and then that's how I got started. And it started and it was a good career move for him, too. Yeah, for both of us. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, so I did that. And then I went over and, and started working for the FM station there. And, and back then it was WDFM. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was doing, you know. They only play classical music then on, on FM. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think it was in my sophomore year, they gave me a, a Saturday morning show to play pop music of all things. But Frank, the audience didn't really accept that very well. So uh, that show didn't last very long. And I thought, well, let me go work for money and radio. And I went and worked at the local radio station, WMAJ, on the weekends and and then I went and started working at the other station in town, WRSC, using different names until they both found out. And then I had to go find another radio job. John Guerin, the secret CIA guy working yeah. at two different radio. That's incredible. Uh, listen, uh, this is not on our schedule, but I got to ask, did you feel back then that you were a programmer to be? I thought I was going to be a disc jockey, um, and I made it all the way to the big market of Altoona at WFBG doing weekends. Uh, and then I had a, you know, summer was, I did that for a, a, a year at college. And then I went back home, obviously, for the summer. And I had a job that I did locally for the summer. And then uh, when I came back to school as a senior, the, that job wasn't there anymore. So I went to the big V WVAM, which was a new competitor, which was actually beating uh, WFBG. And so they hired me for weekends. And, uh, and so that's, uh, you know, that's kind of what I ended up doing, but I thought I was going to be a disc jockey until I realized when I was doing it more regularly, that I wasn't very good at it. I was what they called a, it's time temperature. It's called it's by. I could do that real well. But beyond that, you know, the creativity, that just was not what I was very good at. And I found I was better on the management side and putting things together at the college radio station and things like that. So let's talk about this. Talk about WCAU 
And what I think was your first PD role, is that true? And who gave you your PD stripes? Well, let me back up just a second on that because uh, okay. before I got that job, I got a, a I got hired as a management trainee by Triangle Publications, which owned the TV Guide and WFILA, and FM, and a bunch of other radio and TV stations around the country. And uh, and so I'm working at WFIL on their FM side, which was called Popular 102, with a program director named Dave Clare, who was really one of the first to come up with playing, you know, we used to call it chicken rock. Uh, you know, it wasn't quite top 40, but it wasn't the old soft AC type of a format. And mm. uh, and so I got the job there as production director. And I got to work with all the great jocks at WFIL because they did all the voice tracking on the FM and, uh, and all the production. You know, they cut the commercials. And so I'm working with people like Don Rose and Dick Heatherton, Jay Cook, Jim Nettleton, Long John Wade, uh, Tom Tyler was great because he was their production director and he taught me a lot of things about how to produce things on FM. And, and I remember one of the greatest newsmen I've ever watched and heard was Alan Stone on WFIL. He was so animated and exciting. After the newscast, he would come out of the little booth and he would be drenched with sweat from getting so excited and, and so into what he did with this passion. That's incredible. But, but with that job, uh, I worked a lot with the salespeople, and there was a guy named John Catlett, who was uh, one of their top salespeople at WFIL, and he got hired by CBS to do something with WCAUFM, which at the time was doing the Young Sound, which, uh, which they play tapes all day long. They had two Scullies and a carousel, and that was the FM radio station. And so Jim you know, needed to do something. And he talked to me about, you know, let's do it. What can we do in that market? And we decided to do oldies because nobody was doing oldies. And, uh, and so it was my job then to put together, get all the records. Uh, in fact, I used to go in the lost night records was a Philly distribution and I'd go into their files and I just take one of everything because we had to build a whole library of music, but we put together, uh, an oldie station with his two tape machines and a carousel, you know, cartridge machine. And uh, I learned something very good there, which was as bad as it sounded at times, because it wasn't very, uh, you know, well produced. Uh, mm -hmm. If you play the right things that people want to hear, they'll, they'll cut you a lot of slack. And I ended up actually hiring Jim Nettleton to voice all the tracks for us. We would record uh, our tapes a day. Uh, you know, we have our tapes and we just rotate those tapes. And each hour was a prepackaged show with Jim Nettleton introing and, ex you know, talking out of records. Because that's all sure. we could do. In fact, I used to have to wake up at 6 a.m. every morning because we used to simulcast CAUAM overnight and make sure the engineer hit the start button on the FM station at 6 a.m. Because sometimes they'd forget. It's a different priority back then. So are you telling oh, yeah. me that a sales guy gave you your first PD stripes? Is that what I'm hearing? That's right. Yeah, I mean, he knew the sales side, but he didn't know programming. And he had worked with me and, and liked me and, and realized he could probably get me very cheap, which he did. But, uh, awesome. you know, it was yeah. a great opportunity to be a program director in Philadelphia. And I just, I you know, I learned a lot there, you know, working with Jim Nettleton 
And uh, just being in that building with the AM station, which was a big AM station at that time, a big talk station, uh, that that was that that was that was that was fun. That's so interesting. So pretty soon there's WCBS FM. Tell us about two years as the PD there. Well, we did very well in Philadelphia, as bad as it sounded, even in mono, um, uh, that they, John Catlett, who had been, who was the general manager who had come from Chicago at BBM-FM, was struggling with CBSM and what they should do. And with the success we were having in Philadelphia, uh, he asked me to transfer to uh, to New York, which, uh, you know, I did. And, uh, and then we, you know, we, they were kind of doing an oldies format, but it really hadn't been solidified yet. And so my job was to fix it. And, uh, you know, I came in and, uh, you know, again, I had a great staff to work with there. I mean, the best was Bill Brown, who was our midday jock. Um, you know, and we did a, to- a very top 40 presentation of oldies. Um, yeah. And the jocks that were there, some of them tried to do it and some of them just, you know, didn't feel comfortable. And so we ended up with people like Dick Heatherton, who I hired after he left WFIL. And I got a Jack, I got Jack Miller, who was doing mornings at WDRC up in Hartford to come down and do mornings for us. And of course, Bill Brown was there. And then I got the great Norman Knight from Cleveland to do nights at CBS FM. He is the, the master of knowledge about music and uh, is writing a number of books about it and is very successful I believe still on uh, on Sirius XM. And how different did your Philadelphia station and then your New York station sound? Well, again, in Philadelphia when I left, they were you know they were still doing the tapes because yeah, uh, right? they never they never went live until actually they went to the 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 hot the hot uh, what was it the. I forget the name of it now. Was it uh, hot hits? Yeah, there you go. Thank you. The hot hits sound. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's when they went live. But they were oldies up until that point. They got better automation systems, but uh, I don't believe they were ever live. Um, so I was running, you know, twenty-four hours live with these great jocks. In fact, I remember, uh, you know, again, within a year, we were the most listened to FM station in America. And, and and back then, the oldies format was really a 25, 34-year-old format because we, really we were only 20 years from the 50s. That's right. So, uh, so it, was a, it was a much younger format. So we were playing all the doo-wops and everything like that. And we were really pushing WABC in that demo. In fact, it was interesting because, uh, you know, they started to get some of the old jingles out and things like that uh, to try and counter what we were doing, added some more of the oldies in and, uh, you know, try to modify that what they were doing a little bit somebody was saying who is this john garen god bless all right well, so look <laughs> go ahead no i was just going to say because of what i did there and and the yes. sound of the radio station i get a call from rick sklar yeah. and rick says i really like what you're doing kid uh can you come over i'd like to talk to you about something so i go and they were right across the street so I nice. you know, walk across the street, go into their building, because I was in the CBS BlackRock building right. and uh, went into the ABC building. And I go in and I meet Rick Sklar and he pulls out this piece of paper 
And across the top is all the formatics, time, temperature, jingles, PSA, you know, all the things that we consider the formatics of radio. And he had a monitor of my of CBS FM, and he had all the check marks of everything. He says, look at this. He says, you're doing everything right. And we have an opportunity in Chicago. Uh, would you be interested in you know, meeting the general manager and talking to him? Mm. And I'm thinking... Geez, I always wanted to be program director at WABC, but you know, how can I give that opportunity up? So, you know, that's how I got the introduction to go and apply at WLS. Right, and this is crazy because everyone will want to know about this. WLS AM and FM in Chicago. Listen to this: 1974 until 1987. That's a career right there, isn't it? What? What did you learn between 1974 and 1987, and and what was WLS like during that period of time? Well, you know, I've been a fixer my whole career. I've never walked into a station that didn't need fixing in some way. And one of the reasons I went to WLS when Marty hired me, uh, what a terrific manager he was, um, was because CFL had just beaten WLS. And... Uh, and so, you know, I was brought in to, you know, to work with the team there and, uh, you know, try and fix things, which we did. Um, and it was a wonderful situation because I came in and the people who had lost the CFL in the next book were winning against CFL. We didn't have to make any changes at all uh, because the staff was, was terrific. Uh, and Tommy Edwards, who had been the program director, wanted to step down. And, and I, I wanted to make sure I kept Tommy because he was a tremendous help in showing me what was, what was there and how things worked at WLS. So I didn't come in and screw things up. And, uh, and uh, we made a great nice. team together. And, and what was the difference between one book and the next? Uh, it, tightening up the music. I think I've always been good, I think, at laying out a roadmap for the jocks. I have tremendous respect for talent because I'm not very good on the air. And so when you realize what these people go through and what they're able to do that you can't do, right. uh, you, you know, that's, that's a unique talent. That's a unique ability that talent has. And so my job, my feeling was give them a good roadmap give them all the tools that they need, give them the right music. We cut the playlist back and, you know, we added more jingles. You know, I, I, I dramatically increased the number of name jingles because I wanted our talent to stand out. I wanted our talent to be remembered because again, this is back in the days in diaries when you had to write things down. So you wanted mm -hmm. people to remember the important things. I mean, we were jingling just the jock names between commercials. I mean, we really upped the, the, imaging of, of what WLS was. And, uh, and so I, you know, I would tell the jocks, I'm going to give you the music and so on. We let them even massage the music a little bit. But I said, you know, you are what you are. You were hired because of your talent. I don't want to diminish that talent. Uh, you know, I may give you some direction here and there, but I'm not going to tell you how to, how to be Fred Winston, or I'm not going to tell you how to be John Landecker. You do what you do best. I think that is the greatest right there. I remember when I was a young programmer, I always used to want to try to channel a talent and change them. And, and now that I'm older, I'm like, no, never. You hire people for who they are, and then you try to figure out 
how to bring the most of that out of them, right? Exactly. Mm. All right. So listen, I don't mean to minimize things, but you have a couple more VP and GM jobs, but then you become the, the co-COO of American Radio Systems. How in the world did this happen to you, John? Well, there's a there's a story behind all that happening. Uh, at WLS, uh, it was you know after being there for like 14 years, it was time to move on. I was trying to move the station AM into more talk. Uh, we had moved Steve and Gary, who were terrific, over to afternoon drive on the AM from the FM, and we were making the FM more music. You know, we had been simulcasting Brant Miller at night who's now the lead weather man at Channel 5 here in, in Chicago. And, and Larry, too, we were cutting the music back and, and starting to do more talk. But ABC Corporate wouldn't let me re- renew their, their uh, contract, Stephen Gary. And I just thought, you know, we're not wow. on the same page. It's time to move on. And so I reached out to, uh, to CBS, who I'd worked for. And, and uh, again, when I was a management trainee at uh, Triangle at WFIL, George Sawson, who was now running the FM division for CBS, had been there too at the same time I was. So I called George and I said, George, I think I need to you know, look for something else. And he said, you know, we have an opportunity in Boston. Uh, let me talk to Nancy Whitman, who ran the radio division, and let's see what we can do. And they ultimately hired me to go up to Boston at WMRQ, which I switched to oldies. Um, and uh, in six months, we were number one oldies, but we knocked off WROR, which had been the big oldies base AC station in that market. And, and, and so just remember that point, because that's how I got to, uh, to American radio. So anyway, so I'm, I'm there and uh, we're doing very well at WODS. I was very lucky. You know, we launched this without a PD at the time. All the talent stayed on the air because they were able to adjust and wanted to be there. And I was very fortunate to then be able to get Dave Van Dyke to come in and be the PD because I was the general manager. And I had, you know, wasn't my job to be, uh, you know, picking the records and in what order they should play. Um, So I was there for about three years. And then I met Richie Bosbaugh, who had pyramid broadcasting out of Boston and was head of KISS which was a huge radio station in Boston. Yes. And, uh, and Richie says, I have this radio station. You did a great job here in Boston. I have this radio station in Chicago, WNUA, which is kind of a new age station, and, and we're not getting anywhere with it. What would, you, would you consider going there and running it? Well, my wife hated Boston. And I thought, <laughs> you know, happy wife, happy husband, you know, happy life. Right. So, uh, we moved back to Chicago to WNUA and with the help of, you know, Lee Hansen as program director. And when Fred, uh, Frank Cody started his, his uh, research business uh, with doing music research and things like that, we figured that the new age music really wasn't the music that worked in Chicago. It was the, uh, it was the smooth jazz. And we had to do something to make the station more accessible other than just the, the instrumentals. We found that bringing in the urban-based pop songs that fits the texture of that smooth jazz music was perfect. And those vocals Huge. made the station accessible. And that's how we got success with WNUA. So now, That's brilliant, John. 
So now five years later, the rules changed for the FCC, and that station I knocked off in Boston um, was owned by Steve Dodge, who ran American Radio Systems. So Steve calls me and says, how would you like to come work for me and come back to Boston? We're starting a radio <laughs> company, and uh, you know, and Dave Perlman's part of it as COO. We'd like you to be co-COO with Dave. We want you to come in and run all the Boston stations for us as we start, uh, because you know we're going to be busy buying radio stations as fast as we can. So I did. I went back to Boston, and I had WRKO and WHDH, which were two talk stations fighting each other. We had, I was very fortunate, we had, uh, we had mixed WBMX, uh, and that was doing extremely well. Um, and then, uh, you know, we ultimately picked up uh, Kurt Gowdy's FM station um, and, and brought that into the Boston and, and did kind of a uh, classic hits format with it. Uh, but uh, Greg Strassel was at BMX, and he took over, also took over the ego, and just was a terrific program director. Uh, oh, I was really, really enjoyed working with him. But we then took WHDH and moved Rush Limbaugh over to WRKO, and made it really the big talk station, and then bought WEEI, which was only five thousand watts doing sports with Imus in the morning, and put that on WHDH. And, and that became WEEI, which is still in the market today with, uh, on FM. John, you, you have this great ability to, uh, how do you say this, uh, to radiate trust, okay? You've managed many different people and in, in many different companies and situations in our business. What advice do you have for somebody who wants to be successful and get ahead in our business today? You don't know all the answers. Uh, use the people around you. Surround yourself with great people and then use them. Uh, and, and don't think that you have the only answer to be successful. I got so many great ideas from everybody I worked. I've been very fortunate to work with tremendous people that taught me an awful lot. I mean, even back, you know, when I worked with Stephen Gary, you know, Steve was doing very different radio from what I had learned. And, and he taught me a lot of things about, you know, what really matters. And especially today when, when music is everywhere, um, you know, just playing music on the radio isn't going to win anymore. And so what's the difference? And it's the talent. It's the things that you can offer that nobody else can. 100%. Now, here's the quote about you, John. Quote, John has been a force in the business for many years, starting as program director of some of the most iconic stations on the planet. As a corporate manager and station group owner, he put his mark on many more stations, helping to craft and drive them towards success. John happens to be one of the good guys in an industry known for big egos, unquote. How do you build a great reputation like the one that you have, John? Well, I think, again, res respecting talent, uh, treating people fairly, uh, incorporate their ideas, you know, make them part of the plan. Uh, you just it, things don't work from the top down, I think, as successfully as people think that they that they are. I think that you have wonderful people working around you. Use them. 
you can't do it all yourself. And, and I tried to treat people the way I wanted to be treated. And I was always inquisitive. And I loved to hear what other people had to say. And, and I took a lot of ideas from other radio stations, too, as I traveled around the country. I felt like when I was at, at American Radio and I was, you know, responsible for most of the Western markets that we owned, uh, I felt like Johnny Appleseed. My job was to go from station to station and, and plant seeds and then let them nurture them, water them and grow them. It's an exciting job, right? Oh, it was what I loved that job at American Radio, traveling around and working with the stations, the managers and the PDs, listening to the different markets. And then when CBS bought us, uh, you know, they, you know, they let us uh, pick up some of their markets, too. So I had pretty much most of the West Coast, except for the top 10 markets with which Dan Mason kept in his pocket. Um, and uh, and again, uh, just working with those stations, working with smart people. I learned as much from them as they learned from me. Nice. All right. So, listen, I, I want to know what's what's involved in managing Oprah and Friends, that channel on XM. Well, that was very interesting. Uh, at the time, Sirius and XM were co competitors. And, um, you know, Sirius was all, almost went under until they hired uh, Howard Stern. And Howard Stern saved them. And XM thought that Oprah would be their silver bullet for them to give them a lot of uh, exposure. Um, and so they needed somebody to do it. And uh, I knew some people in, uh, in XM who reached out to me and, uh, and said, you know, would you be interested? Because I had just left uh, Clear Channel stations um, running that cluster in that market for about almost five years. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, I, they reached out to me. And, uh, and so uh, I met Oprah. And we had some great conversations and she hired me. And then I was smart enough to hire Laurie Contillo out of, uh, out of uh, Phoenix, who was at uh, KFYI running a very successful talk station to be our program director. And then it, our job was to put together a channel uh, for XM of the people who appeared on Oprah's show. And uh, it was people like Dr. Oz and Maya, Maya Angelou and uh, Gail King and people like that. Um, the problem was they weren't used to doing radio. And, right. and they were, you know, their, their first response was when we told them what they were going to do. Um, it's like, well, who's going to do our scripts? And we said, well, there are no scripts in radio. <laughs> and so... For six months, Laurie and I and the people that we hired, and, and it was interesting, most of the producers we hired were, were air talent from smaller markets um, because, again, they knew what you had to do to do a radio show. And we had to teach these people how to do a radio show, you know, weekly, daily, or, you know, whatever they were going to do. And so for six months, we did just tests. We ran it as a test for six months, uh, you know, getting everybody in place getting everybody to do their shows on a regular schedule. Nobody heard it. Nobody, nobody heard, heard this. No, no. Wow. it was, you know, we critique them and everything else until we felt it was right. And then we put it on the air. Um, and I must say, working with Oprah was one of the great experiences of my life because at the point that I left Clear Channel, it was at the point where every year I was being asked to do more with less. Yes. And it was, it was getting tough. Uh, 
to do it the, the way I felt and felt comfortable in the way I wanted to treat people and, and the way I wanted the stations to sound. And her response, her way of operating was, our listeners and viewers are always foremost in our mind. We never want to do everything, that, anything that's going to disappoint them or, or not live up to their expectations. And so when I go in, I'd have meetings with her every week. And when I go in and talk to her about things I'd wanted to do, um, you know, if I sold it to her properly in the right way, uh, she always gave what I gave me what I needed. It was just a wonderful experience. And is she pretty much the person you see on TV or is there another side to her that people don't get to see? She's a remarkable businesswoman. A remarkable businesswoman. So, I mean, you obviously see the TV side, but that carries through the way she treats people and her sensitivity and caringness. Uh, I mean, she's tough. She's not easy to work for. She has high expectations, but you never want to let her down because the way she treats you. You never want to let her down. I, I have one of the best I met Dolly Parton stories ever. And I'll just tell you that it yes. involves... Uh, me meeting the business side of Dolly Parton, which is very interesting. Uh, she is also like that in that she is all of the things that you want her to be. And then she has that business side. So I can see that Oprah having that would be very dynamic. Listen, I, I don't think people, I don't know how people feel about this. I didn't think of you as a consultant for consulting radio. However, I do think of you as as somebody who would be incredible at doing that. Do you enjoy consulting radio and 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 what's that like for you? Um, I, I did enjoy it, but I enjoyed working with the people. I particularly enjoy doing all the research with the research companies. I love coming in and sitting through the you know the debriefing of a, of a research project. And yes. then planning, and then planning out what we were going to do. Uh, and again, I, I, I always felt I was just part of the process. Process. It wasn't my way or the highway. You know, when I left, it was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to check back and see how we're doing with the plan that you all in the room have decided you're going to do. Uh, right. And then I'll give you my feedback and and how I think it's going. Nice. Tell us about AccuRadio. Well, Kurt Hansen was an intern of mine at WLS, and and he when he left, uh, and he was a, a University of Chicago uh, graduate, and he started a, a research company uh, to do uh, music research, and he had done all of our call out when he was an intern, um, and so I hired him to do our our call out research at WLS, and then he started a rating company, and I you know. I also hired him so I have another look at at ratings other than just what uh, Arbitron was providing us. Um, so Kurt and I have known each other for a long time. And then so after I left uh, Harpo, um, Kurt said, uh, you know, would you have breakfast with me every now and then to give me some direction? And I said, sure. And so breakfast every now and then turned into breakfast every week turned into can you come into the office so i started coming into the office and he said can you can you come in every day and so i became <laughs> coo of the of the company uh and so uh you know so i'd work with kurt on you know 
trying to figure out, you know, how digital radio is going to work. You know, what's the best way to do it? And because there were a lot of obstacles, royalties were an obstacle, uh, you know, technology was an obstacle. It still is an obstacle. It's so hard to keep up with all the changes in technology with everybody's apps and everything else and, and to keep, you know, keep our apps on, on the iPhones and Androids and so on up to date. So they work on that and they work on Roku and they work on Alexa and everything else. I mean, it's, yes. it's, it's an interesting situation, but, uh, you know, it's, it's been, it's been great working with Kurt and, and seeing this project through to its fruition. And, uh, and I, I still think the industry has things to figure out because nobody's making any money. Uh, at the, at the moment, Spotify's not making any money. Nobody's making any money because of the royalty situation. Yeah, the that is interesting, right? Yeah, the artists aren't happy. Nobody's happy. Uh, so we have to come up with some sort of a plan. Actually, AccuRadio is 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 making money. Not a lot of money, but we're making money. And uh, But uh, it's, it's, it's an issue that's going to have to be resolved. I always think when people say, well, you know, there's Spotify for radio, you know, Radio should be more like Spotify. And I'm like, if I want to be like somebody, I want to be like somebody who's highly profitable. Don't yeah, I? And, <laughs> and again, the Spotify's and Pandora's and everybody uh, are only as good as the, the music that they're playing. I mean, at AccuRadio, you know, we actually have voices on the air where, you know, we try and create an image of, of what AccuRadio is. And so we have, we have production values and things like that that we put in and and we're really you know we have all the popular channels that obviously you know the bulk of the population wants to hear but what we really focus on is the long tail i mean we have so many versions of classic rock we have so many versions of smooth jazz classical country uh you know blues i mean we really play the long tail and you can hear things in AccuRadio that frankly you're not going to hear anywhere else and we have great radio programmers who are programming these channels uh so that people can just tune in and hear very quickly what they want to hear and then you can make adjustments and and modify the format but uh you know the channels are already built out ready to listen to you know, there are a couple of things that strike me about you. One, uh, being COO seems to be a lucky title for you, John. Number two, uh, a lot of your conversation during our time together today has been like when Oprah said, focus on the consumer, focus on the listener, focus on the viewer. You know, I feel like this is something that's come natural to you. Would you say that's true? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, like I say, I, I never thought that uh, my way was the highway. I, I always reached out to you know what the listeners want to hear. I'd go out on the appearances. I I drive the magic bus at WLS out, you know, to take the jocks out. You know, I go down to Arbitron. Uh, you know, every time the books would come out when they were quarterly, and I go through all the diaries. I had a, a a map on my wall of the whole metro, and I had pins where all of our diaries were, and where CFL's diaries were, and so on. So I really wanted to know, you know, what, why people listened, where they listened, and and what we could do to better their listening experience. One hundred percent. All right. So now we come to the big question for you, John. What do you believe about the future of radio, or should I, maybe I should say it this way, what would you like to see the future of the radio, of radio be? 
Well, I think a couple of things are happening. Um, I think we're starting to recommit to talent. You know, and again, uh, local talent is great. Some national talent can work. I'm not a, I, you know, I don't, I'm not a, opposed to national talent because we've had some wonderful national talent over the years that made radio. Rush Limbaugh saved AM radio. Unbelievable, uh, you know, how, yes. Yeah, Howard Stern, I mean, was unbelievable, unbelievable. on the radio. I mean, yes. there are great shows out there right now that are that are being syndicated that are, are terrific shows. But you have to have the local element and and get personalities who are connected with their market, who live in the market, who know the market, and can talk about the market, and 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 people sense that. I think people get a sense of of the talent that is like them, and um, and I think that you know I think broadcasters more and more are realizing that that's that's the differentiating factor, uh, because again, the music you know. 30 years ago, we got music in two places. We got music in the record store and we got music on the radio. Now you get music everywhere. It's right. everywhere. So I, well, I, think that the, I think that that the other thing I think is interesting is, you know, the prices are coming down on radio stations and and, you know, we probably have too many out there. Un, unlike other businesses, when they go bankrupt, they go out of business and, and go away. Radio stations never seem to go off the air and go away. Uh, and so we we tend to have too many radio stations in in many markets, but with prices coming down, I think we're at the point where we start may start to see more improv improvisation. It reminds me of back in the '60s and early '70s when the owners had to do something on their FM stations and they had to stop simulcasting. Suddenly we had all sorts of experimentation, things thrown yes. up against the wall to see what would happen. And that was an exciting time for us. It was exciting for us. And I think it made music more exciting because I don't think, frankly, if FM had not taken off, the albums would have done as well as they did because the AM stations, frankly, wouldn't have been playing, you know, eight minute songs. You know, I, you hated, know. Anything, I hated anything over three and a half minutes. So I, I so, think that we, you know, as prices come down, we may start to see people buying stations and and trying more things because they, it, we can afford to try things again. Yes, and you know, it's interesting. The larger the company, the less experimentation, the more control, you know, command and control. It's not as exciting. No, it's, it's but that you know, for the large companies, frankly, with the the overhead that they have and the and the you know the bills that they have, etc. Uh, you know that's their way of 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 staying in business, and it's not right. it's not necessarily wrong, but I think there's another way for other broadcasters to say, you know, I can be more local than they can, you know, like what we're doing in San Diego. I mean, we're local almost in all shifts on on our San Diego radio stations. You know, mm -hmm. we have we have jocks that can go out and meet in the community because they're there. They're you know, it's not somebody eight markets away that. You know that's voice tracking that can't come in. Uh, you know we have our talents meeting our our clients and things like that, and and we're doing local radio, we're doing research and so on because we're the owners and and we know what we want and what we're going to be proud of. And look, John, it's been great to have you as our guest. I want to thank you for making this time for us. 
Well, thank you, Lloyd. Again, it was it was great to get reacquainted. I'm sorry we didn't get to work together back in Charlotte. Oh, me too. That was a that was a heady couple of days. Let me tell you. Well, you uh, can make a whole you can make a whole podcast out of that story for your listeners. There's no question that I that would be a, a very strange story for sure. Thank you so much, John. Listen, get free more free resources to help your sellers with our encouraging sales success series inside the blog at rainmakerpathway.com anytime. Look, we're here to encourage radio pros at all levels. That definitely includes your salespeople. Remember, if you know somebody that you would like to hear as a guest on the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, email me. It's a simple process, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. We hope you have a great week, like we say, at Rainmaker Pathway and on the Radio Rally. Once you have a radio station, you can get anything else you want. If you have any question about what does he mean by that, call me up. I'd love, this is my passion for local radio and love to share that with you. We want to thank our special guest for this podcast episode, John Garrett, who is the chairman of AccuRadio, board member and partner of local media in San Diego, and just told you what it is all about. I want to thank him for being our patient and giving guest. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which will be available in just seconds. And of course, uh, JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast. Please, this is the one thing that we ask of you. Please do share the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast with others that you know are interested in growing their careers in radio and audio. Subscribe for free on Apple, Audible, Spotify, almost anywhere that you get your podcast. If you don't remember anything else, please remember this. Be kinder than you have to be. Thanks for being a part of the Radio Rally with the Encouragers. Now go have a great week.